the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following podcast was recorded live at Sage Summit 2017 in Atlanta. It is part two of the series, part one, episode 143, aired first on May 19th, 2017. Enjoy. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution, an economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, Accounting Innovation, It's Not an Oxymoron. Tom, I just want to give you an opportunity to weigh in on this whole management innovation thought. I was going to say, so we, have a, um, we, we had a young professional group that, that found all these problems with um, remote working, which is kind of symptomatic of what's creating bad cultures in some of the firms. And the, the kind of big aha was, you know, the remote working culture is the culture of the future. And so if we actually could figure that out, which has to do with collaboration, has to do with accountability, I mean, it really gets to, I think, you know, Dan Pink, the book Drive, Autonomy, Mastery, and Purpose. I think that innovation, and it's not really an innovation, but it is a re kind of resetting of the way things are. Instead of the old, let's have all these detailed strategy and, and levels of jobs and all that, it's more about creating the purpose, the compelling purpose for the business. What are you really trying to do? What's your why? And then beginning to set everybody and cascade down in terms of what their do, what their roles are, what their accountability is. And I think as you guys said it, then they can be accountable for themselves. But you've got to have transparency and systems that support that. Great. All right, three rules for questions. Three rules for questions. Number one, you must state your name and your company name. Um, and then the third rule is that you must ask a question. It's <laughs> All right? You must ask a question. All right, so go ahead. My name is Dan Falano, and the company is Educate America, Inc. And I got into the business when computers were just being thrown on top of desks. And, you know, people were complaining about it costing them $3,000 for a computer, $300 for software. I spent a lot of money into this, and there was a lot of fighting, and I had to, you know, go through and do that. And through the years, I haven't had problems going in and embracing new technology and the way we do business. So, you know, I became a consulting. That's what, how my business became called Educate America, Inc., was because I became a consulting first, more of an accountant. I tried to create it. 
And as, but as time goes on, and these, you know, now softwares cost $3,000 and a computer costs $300, they've reversed. But I continually to struggle finding ways to price. You know, you hear about, okay, well, you can buy, do this, package it up this way and charge this much for it, or, you know, taxing, charge per form or, or charge per hour. I mean, can you imagine if we were doing it by hour? I mean, I remember, you know, when they, we used to do it, keep track of our time. We had to keep track of it manually, and then when they came out with timekeepers. Um, but I'm really struggling, and Joe, you kind of touch on that, uh, you know, about pricing and everything, and uh, it keeps changing. I think that's where I'm struggling, and does anybody have any solutions to keep up with that? Um, yeah, okay, so we just have the value pricing questions. Everybody just sit back, grab a cocktail. Um, <laughs> we're ready to rock and roll on this. Okay, but actually, let's do the panel first. Jody, why don't you talk a little bit about what you do, and then Ron, I'll let you talk. So, I think... <laughs> The, the biggest thing is you just have to like buy into the methodology to start. Like you kind of have to to just try it because I think everyone puts up all these barriers as to why it's not going to work, and then they don't try it. And it's something that you learn over time. It doesn't happen overnight. And then like you can listen to the experts and have them tell you all the detail of it. But I think the biggest thing is to say, you know what? I'm going to not keep time. And I'm not going to price for time, and I'm going to go down the value pricing way and believe it, and then you can develop your own um, your own way or your own way to get there. But I think um, the hardest part is just buying into the fact that you need to change the way you price. And I'll just say, I won't make this a long soliloquy, I promise. Uh, we've done shows on it that you can listen to yeah. on the Soul of Enterprise. There's a lot of information at verisage.com on this. But just think about this. A service that's needed is worth more than a service that's been delivered. Is that true? Is that true, everyone? So when should we be pricing? Before the engagement. So a fixed price, even if it's just a solo fixed price, given to the client before you do the work is always going to be superior to billing them in arrears. The reason we write down and write off as a profession, and this across the board, in any size firm, up to the big four, around the world, is because we find out that the client doesn't like your price after you've done the work. I rather have you find out that they don't like your price before you do the work, because maybe there's some things you can do, like change the scope or find another way around to achieve their objective. So always give a fixed price. And if you do that, then you just go on and you do the work. Your pricing will get better. It's a skill. It's like golf or tennis. The more you do it, the better you're going to get. And when you get really good at it, once you've had a few wins, you can start offering options, a green card, gold card, platinum card, and that's when you can really drive profitability. It's also, by the way, a better customer experience. And I think that's part of innovation as well, is creating a better customer experience. When we buy something as a human, we want to know the price. I didn't fly out here on United, a bloody good airline, by the way. Um, <laughs> And, and, and get charged four bucks a minute. It's not going to happen. In fact, I paid the airfare months ago, right? So they gave me a price. We can do the same thing, and, million, and thousands of firms, I said millions, thousands of firms are. Uh, you just got to dive in, and I'm happy to have a chat with you, or if you give me your business card, send you more resources. I got tons of resources, webinars. A book, even. Even a book. <laughs> they go through this step by step. Up front here. Hey, uh, my name is Bjorn. Um, I'm just recently joined the Sage uh, family. We were um, a startup that got acquired. Uh, we're kind of a, 
uh, IBM Watson for SMBs. Um, so we've been kind of building a, a self-driving business engine for a small, medium-sized business, particularly um, e-commerce uh, businesses. And so one of the areas that we're looking, um, you know, to work together with accountants is to empower them to deliver more value-add services. And I'm curious to hear from you, what do you see as sort of the big areas where accountants are going to make money in the future? Okay. Tom, you want to start us off? Well, so we work with a whole bunch of CPAs who are in businesses and industry, so not practicing, right? And we just did a big town hall with them, and you know, over two-thirds of them are feeling like their businesses are going through disruption. So just like we're sitting there talking about disruption for the accounting profession, almost every business, small or not, is feeling disruption. So I think that the value add is for CPAs who can help anticipate, look out into the future, and help those clients think about their business differently. Now, what, where clients have trouble is in they don't understand the language of business, which is what accounting really is. So I think our problem has been we've been kind of servants to getting the numbers in and right, and that's where we spend all of our time instead of thinking about what the numbers mean to the future. So I think anything we can be doing this kind of look at how we could predict things or manage different parts of our business by, again, looking ahead, visualization, storytelling, making sense of all the crazy numbers that you see so that clients can make better decisions, right? It's all about making decisions that have an impact. Yeah. So to that, we're technically doing that, right? So we're essentially... Um, automating a lot of that kind of work, right? So we deliver answers, right? We say, hey, you should, um, you know, add a subscription um, model um, as an e-commerce merchant in order to increase your profitability by 120%, right? So we're very specific and prescriptive in the outputs that we generate. Um, and, um, you know, I can see that accountants can be helpful in actually then executing on those changes, right? Um, but um, I think a lot of the visualizations, the uh, sort of the basic analysis, like those are the kind of things that actually will be automated as well. So correct, but you're, but I think that so I would say it's the domain expertise of the accountant. Like if you if you know that industry really well, and you can relate it to other groups of other businesses that you've seen, and the trust component. So when that computer spits out and says you need to convert your model to a subscription model. Right? No matter how prescriptive that is, the client's probably going to want someone that's a human to go, I've seen that work by this, and I've seen it not work in that way, and maybe you better watch for that. Just like, just like that guy's saying about value pricing, right? He, Watson could have told him to do value pricing, but he wants to listen to Ron and Jody go, well, here's how you do it, and, and here's the practical real-life application of that. So I think, to me, that's where it is, but it has to be that deep domain expertise that the computer won't be able to do instantly. Now, maybe in five years it will, but that's about be my perspective. Yep. Let's, uh, keep, it, keep it going here uh, on, on this. Any additional services? Did you uh, want to weigh in on this question? So, yep. Gal. Um, I'd say other than for the accountants who are serving the really large firms that are primarily large businesses being audited, um, the area that's most lacking and the greatest opportunity that I'm seeing right now is financial planning. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to manage someone's investment portfolio or be their wealth manager, but helping, even if your clientele is small businesses, those are all run by people. And helping those people achieve whatever their goals are financially and just in their life 
um, I think that is an area that is largely overlooked by accountants. Mm-hmm. Well, Ron, yeah. what's the thing that Daryl Golem asked when he interviews? But we, well, like, the first question he asks a new potential customer, this is a colleague of ours in San Diego, is like, what, what are your hopes and dreams? First question right. that he asks a new potential client. Right. What are your it, hopes and dreams? This is a sole proprietor <laughs> CPA in San Diego, and, and his view, he doesn't try and productize his services. He's there to provide a transformation to the customer to take them from where they are to where they want to be. If that's estate planning, if that's financial planning, wealth planning, his job is to move them from where they are to where they want to be. That, if you think about it, is the highest point of value because then the client becomes the product. The client's the product. It's the transformation. It's like, it's like a plastic surgeon, right? You're, you're changing somebody, changing the image. Think about the estate planning done for Warren Buffett or Bill Gates. You're planning their legacy their legacy. How important is Bill Gates' legacy? So I would say just the services I see having incredible potential, just from a demographic perspective, you're just looking at demographics. If that's all you were looking at, we've got an aging population. I'd certainly go after elder care and estate planning, right? Those are going to be really in demand unless we get rid of the estate tax, which could happen. Uh, The other thing I'd say is things like KPIs, Pricing consulting. I, I'm, I'm appalled, actually, how many CPAs don't do, accountants, bookkeepers, don't do pricing consulting because every business grapples with pricing. You could be doing the same type of pricing innovation that you do in your firm with your clients. The last thing I'd say is I really see, and I wanted to get the panel's view on this as well, I really see niche. You've got a niche. You can't be all things to all people. That's got to stop. We've got to focus on a niche and go really, really deep. I mean, First off, you get more interesting clients. You get more, you're higher up on the value curve. Everyone in this room would get on a plane, fly to Rochester at the, to the Mayo Clinic to find an oncologist that had the type of cancer you've been diagnosed with, probably by Watson. But you would not, you would not fly up to Rochester for a general practitioner. You'd, you'd Google your area code. So which one's more profitable? We need to specialize because the strategy of your firm is determined by the clients you don't have and by what you don't do. And I think too many firms try and be all things to all people because we're so scared of turning any work away. So the most profitable firms, bar none, bar none, not even close, are the ones that work in one industry. I have a friend, he was my first senior at Pete Marwick. He's got an eight, uh, what is it, would be seven digit net income, and all he does is dentists. That's it. But he can do a dentist from womb to tomb. <laughs> Coming out of school, getting a divorce, whatever it might be. He, he can handle whatever part in life they're at. He can do it because he's done it a million times. So he's very selective. He doesn't even advertise. He has no website. He's not on any social media. And this guy turns away about 80% of the dentists that come to him because he just doesn't find them interesting. <laughs> So the riches are in the niches. That's really true. I, mean, I hate it sounds cliche, but it's really true. The, the, those are the most profitable firms across all professional sectors, not just accounting. Yeah, I, I just recommended a book to Gary earlier today. I'll throw this out there for you, but I'm, I'm about halfway through it called Micro Slices, which is very interesting because it's written from the perspective of, the, of a purchaser of consulting services rather than someone who's giving advice to 
con right, consultant, so it's a purchaser of it who's, who's reading it. And this guy is absolutely adamant that it is, it, it's not just niche, it's like it, dry cleaners who specialize in white clothing. I mean, like, that, that's where you gotta get down to this, this level. And what he looks for is an intersection of three different areas, right, to develop the niche. He says you wanna, you wanna get three different specialties and, and be able to, to focus on three different categories, some of them psychographic, some of them demographic, some of them, and, and that's where you want to draw the specialty. Very interesting book, um, Microslices. Thus concludes the first segment of part two of our special live podcast recorded at Sage Summit 2017 in Atlanta. More audience questions in the next segment after this from our sponsor, Leading Results. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Is your website just a brochure, or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have, but have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And now the second segment of part two of our special live podcast recorded at Sage Summit 2017 in Atlanta. Ronald, I think you got a question. Bring yes. it on. Yes, my name is Ronald. <laughs> I also work for Sage. And the role that I have in Sage, I have to learn a lot about the industry because I deal with people who deal with you know, people such as yourselves on the, on, up here. And one thing that I studied, I, I, I saw a recent study in the CRA in Canada and there are some similar studies in the states over the last uh, year, year and a half. Uh, the one from the CRA really grabbed me. It was two-thirds of customers or two-thirds of, of taxpayers who had businesses mm -hmm. told the CRA when they asked what did they want out of their accountant or what did they want out of their CPA. They wanted the consultative type of things that you guys are talking about. They wanted someone's wisdom to help them navigate their business. But the CRA said only one in five offered it. And the numbers are very similar in the states, from what I can tell. So my question to the panel is, if we know that the majority of people, when asked, 
want this. I want to pay you not for the work that you're doing for me, but for your knowledge and for your wisdom, because I can get some value out of that. But only one in five, let's say, do it. Why is that gap so big? Because to me, just looking at it from a, you know, back here, that's a huge market. And it's a market that people are saying, I want this, but they're not getting it. So I would like to hear from the wisdom of the panel on this. Gail, lead off, then we'll go to Gary. To a great extent, we're looking at a situation where we have a profession of people, accountants, who are really busy and don't have the time or, or don't think they have the time to make room for adding additional services into their practice and don't even take the time to step back and look at their practice and say, what could we do that could bring more value to our clients? And could we streamline our client base and maybe offer better services? I, I think they're so swamped and they think this is nirvana. I get to run my 10 key and add up numbers all day long and I get paid for it and, and aren't even thinking about what the, the value to them would be in the satisfaction of doing more worthwhile work. So I think to, at least from a starting standpoint out of the gate that we've got accountants who are already working more than full-time. Okay. Gary? Well, that's what I hear, too, in the profession. We're too busy. And I say, yeah, you're too busy picking up $10 bills off the floor when you can pick up off $100 bills off your desk. And, and the second reason is that their people don't feel comfortable consulting they feel comfortable when they're the smartest person in the room in a tax or audit situation. So take it from there, I think it's mindset. You have to have the mindset that you're going to be a game changer and you're going to do what takes the client forward. And I like transformation. I think that ties back to Joseph Schumpeter model of creative destruction. And if you're in the role of transformation agent, you're always going to be relative. If you go in the cycle, you may have some really great times, but then you're going to be in the down cycle and you don't want to be there. So I, I think that's the reason. Uh, and I think the younger people really want to do this. Uh, it's just they need different training and you need to do it as a collaborative team not as a rugged individualist. Yep, Jody, and then Tom. Yeah, so I think um, we, it's been trained out of us, right? So if you work in an old school firm, you're not allowed to talk to the client until you've been there for two or three years sometimes, right? All you've, been getting, all you've gotten is negative review points as to what you've done wrong. No one's actually coached you into dealing with a client and a relationship. And so from my perspective, the cloud has not only added capacity, but it's changed it because it's made you learn how to work in real time with your end user who's your customer. So no longer can you send your team member seven pages of review notes because you're working in real time on a live file. And if she's touching that file, she has to be given constant feedback as to how to fix the file or how to make sure that the file is done correctly. So from my perspective, what I've seen happen in the cloud firms is they become a lot more consultative because they've had to. Because real-time data disrupts your firm. It's not, it's not the internet and it's not the software itself. It's the real-time that creates the chaos that new firm 
firms have had to learn how to to learn how to do consulting around that data, and that's why the next gen firms are killing it in consulting because they've learned how to do it. There's no time for seven pages of review notes. Tom, uh, give me an answer, and then uh, what we're going to do after that is we'll take uh, Bjorn's question, and then what I want you guys to think of is if you on the panel have a question for others on the panel. See, now we're turning it on ourselves. All right, so Tom, give us your answer. So I, I agree with the time issue. They're, they're so busy, they don't know how to think about it. But it, 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 it's skills. And the generation between, the I'd say, the Xers and the Boomers, we weren't taught those skills. Actually, some of the kids coming out of college today are starting to get those skills. But skills like strategic thinking, and really applying it to kind of business situations. That's what many accountants were not trained in the traditional way. So, Bjorn, back up to you. Second crack at the question barrel. Here we go. Actually, I had one comment, okay. if I may. So I think you know, we've been working with some bigger consulting firms and um, you know, some accounting firms that are doing consulting as well. And one of the things that we found is that um, one reason why they have not been able to do this transition that you've been talking about and being more um, sort of more consultants um, is not just because they're busy, but also because of the way of how those organizations are typically typically structured, right? Their partnerships where mm. um, every time that they invest into innovation or something new, um, it goes out of their own pocket, right? And um, that's been you know, for us, kind of being an innovative um, new tool uh, for these firms has been the major hurdle in delaying sort of, you know, being deployed to their customers. Nice. So. Ron, I know you want to comment on that. You've had thoughts about the partnership model for years. In fact, there's a new, relatively new blog post up on Verisage. It's a great read, but I'll, I'll ask you to talk about this. And then I'm going to ask you guys your questions, so be ready. Be I'd ready just love to blow up the partnership model because I think Margaret Thatcher said it best. It, partnership model is a consensus model, right? Fifteen people have to sit around and agree on the color of the carpet. You know, once you become a car partner, you're an interior decorator. I mean, you can do it all, right? Uh, there's no, no, nothing you can't do. And that's a consensus model. It's not a leadership model. And Margaret Thatcher said, you know, consensus is the absence of leadership. And I think she's right. So I, our next goal at Verisage is to kill the partnership model. But I just wanted to make another comment about the difficulty of making this change from accountant to consultant. I think one of the big problems with making this change, and it's a mindset uh, idea like Gary was talking about, is everybody in this room is an expert, right? You're a professional and we pride ourselves on being able to answer questions. Your clients come to you, they've got a tax question, a bookkeeping, an accounting question, whatever it might be, we have the answer. And if we don't have it off the top of our head, we're gonna go find it really fast and get back to them. That's part of our self-identification and how we value ourselves. Consultants are the complete opposite. Consultants aren't paid to answer questions. Consultants are paid for the question. And that's a very difficult mindset change, I think, for a lot of professionals who were taught, you better have the answer. No, no. Like Socrates said, half the wisdom, half the value, I'd say even more than half, is in the question. A great question is transformative all by itself, and you don't have the, have the answer. These snot-nosed kids at McKinsey that they send out, <laughs> 22 years old, with MBAs, they have no clue how to run a business. They're standing sitting across from somebody who's in a fifth-generation you know, family firm, what they have at McKinsey are the protocols and the right questions. That's what makes them valuable. 
So if you really want to transform to a consultative mindset, you've got to becoming you've got to become really good at questions. And there's a beautiful book. We did a whole show on it called A More Beautiful Question, uh, which is just a spectacular start. Yeah, Warren Berger, not the judge. Warren Berger, different guy, but it is a fantastic book. And the back of the book has an index of all the questions in the book. Really kind of interesting. Not an index of the answers. Okay, uh, let's bring the mic down. Yeah, quickly. Thank you. And then, we're, then we'll take this, and then you guys are going to start your questions, because I want to start to wrap this up. Here we go. Hi, Kasana Peebles. I'm with Sage Accounting Solutions, uh, so I work for Sage. Uh, my question was more for Tom, Jody. Um, I follow you guys on LinkedIn. I look at you guys for thought leadership. Uh, I engage a lot of accountants. I look for you guys for leadership. You know I also follow you too, Ed. Um, <laughs> my question was, how do you feel social media engagement innovates the accounting profession? Because I see you guys out there all the time. Um, so the question was, how does social media innovate in the profession? Um, how do I leverage the social media in the profession? So. It's leveraged me to thought leadership that didn't exist. So, um, you know, 10 years ago, you couldn't necessarily um, be considered a thought leader until you went from conference to conference and you spoke all these places. And when I began seven years ago, all my thought leadership was built on Twitter. So I started making comments about things that I thought needed to change, and they were original thoughts and they became my platform to stand on. Um, some of the thought leaders didn't necessarily like that, but <laughs> it happened, right? Um, and so that's evolved, and now my customers who are not my, or my leads who are not my customers come to me because they see the thought leadership that I have in the profession, and so it's directly related to building my business because my end users or my customers know what New Vision stands for before they walk in the door, and instead of um, saying, will they buy, or it's how, where do I sign, right? How do I buy from you? Because they know me, and um, they know what I stand for, and therefore they're ready to buy product from me before they even come in. And, and our, our practice is national and even global, I would say. So our customers don't, aren't from Chicago. I mean, some of them are, but the majority of them are from all over the, the country because I have that big of a presence on social media. Tom, anything to add? Yeah. I mean, I, I just say it's, it's probably the best thing I've ever done. I mean, I, I'd say it's my number one tool for learning. It's the number one tool for staying up on the future trends that are going on in the profession. All I need is a Twitter feed and, you know, and it's, it's the connecting point. So I think, you know, when you go to a conference like this, go through the social media feed, connect to all the people on social media, get them on your Twitter feed, jump on LinkedIn and connect them on LinkedIn. And the beauty of, of social media is, People follow you because they want to, not because they have to. So when you're following bills, it means you're saying something that matters. So the last point I say, it's your point of view. So if you're adding something of value in that, whatever it is, whether you're commenting on someone's post or re-kind of putting your thoughts around something, don't just retweet or regurgitate everything. Add your point of view. Then your people will like look at you, your customer base will say, you stand for what I stand in, right? So I think it gets to that. If you really want to narrow down who you're working with, whether it's friends or partners, I mean, I met Jody on social media. That's, to me, that's the, that's the beauty of it. That concludes the second segment of part two of our interview with Tom Hood, Jody Padar, Gail Perry, and Gary Boomer at Sage Summit 2017 in Atlanta. In the third segment, we take a few more questions from the audience and wrap it up by asking each other some questions. 
But right now we want to remind you that you can contact Ron or myself by emailing us at asktsoe at verisage.com. Also, please sure to visit our website, thesoulofenterprise.com, for more information on our shows and show notes from previous shows and previews to upcoming shows, as well as our schedule if you want to come out and see Ron or myself live. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And now the final segment of our session at Sage Summit 2017 in Atlanta about accounting, innovation, it's not an oxymoron. Down here, Gary, you got a question for the panel, the esteemed panel? Sure. <laughs> uh, Mike, please. Sure, I've got a question. Uh, there's a man by the name of Charlie Tremendous Jones, and he had a quote that said, who you will be in five years or you'll be the same person you are today in five years, except for the people you meet and the books you read. So I'd like to ask the rest of the panel what was one of the best books they recently read. Gail, let's start with you. Okay. um, Actually, uh, I'd say the most interesting book I've read recently is, um, I think it's called Why Men Work. Why Men Work. I think that's the name okay. of it. Yeah. What's the ba- basic premise, quickly? Uh, the basic premise is that society is transforming the gender role in business mm-hmm. and that 
men used to work because they were expected to be the breadwinners. And now, in many cases, they're not expected or required to be the breadwinners anymore, and it's changing their outlook on going to work and their role in the workplace. Okay. Yes. Yep. Down here. Jody. So um, I don't read books. I read Twitter feeds and LinkedIn and social. So that's where I spend my reading time. It's all online. Articles, though? Any um, article jump out at you? No? No. All right. Tom? <laughs> uh, my, my most recent was Thank You for Being Late by Thomas Friedman. Uh, he's a New York Times columnist. The basic premise is uh, two things. One is the need for reflection, kind of that deep thinking time that we often don't take because we're in the glass cage. The second thing, though, is he really kind of puts in perspective, the, he, he wrote The World is Flat. Mm -hmm. So he really put in perspective that he wrote The World is Flat before Facebook became public. And his piece is, he said, in 2007, when the Great Recession hit us, we all thought the Great Recession was the problem. That year was a year that Steve Jobs held this up and introduced the iPhone. That was the year that Facebook, I think, went public or became a mainstay piece. It was also the year that Hadoop, the uh, artificial intelligence uh, algorithm, was released to the world. So he said at that point in time, that's when everything kind of went into that exponential curve and everything fundamentally changed. He's got a great perspective on that. So if you want to kind of put in the, kind of the, this whole exponential change period in perspective, great read. Okay. Ron, did you want to add any? Or? No. Okay. No, no, right. Good. All right. So that, thanks, Gary. Gail, you're up for your question for the panel. Okay. All right. Well, we've been talking a lot about innovation in firms and firms having the opportunity to do a lot of innovative things and many firms not doing innovative things for one reason or another. All of us on the panel up here are trainers of one sort or another, speakers, mm -hmm. uh, teachers, uh, educators. Um, what can we do to make a difference from the podium to the people we're speaking to that can ignite them and make them want to be more innovative. Okay. Who wants to start with that one? How can we get other people to change? That's really the question. <laughs> <laughs> Gary? I'll, okay, good, Tom. I was going to say, I think, I think we have to start kind of changing the narrative from the fear of automation taking over accounting, which is becoming more and more mainstream, and begin to flip it to an opportunity-based uh, mindset to say what if we start to leverage this technology to really change what we do to be the game changer that Gary talked about. So I think it's more inspiration mm -hmm. instead of fear based because fear is not making anyone move. Okay. Jody? It's stories of actual practitioners who are doing things and making differences. Um, I talked to a 160-person firm last week, and they're completely value pricing. So when you hear actual firms doing it, I think it takes the fear away from it. Okay. I would say that they're now convinced of the why. They want to know the how, and they want a playbook. And that's what we've been working on for the last year is to try to get them a four-step playbook because it is transformational and you have to be realistic they can't change within a year for the larger firms it's probably a three-year process and it may take new leadership and some to get them there I would just add to that is is offer possibilities I think possibility is a great word to use is it you know is it possible 
And, and then they make a choice whether or not they think they want to engage or not. Because if it's not possible for them, then you're wasting your breath, right? Peer, so peer is it networks possible? help a lot because they get confidence mm-hmm. from peers. And meetings like this are safer yeah. than going to a meeting in the office because there's one thing about innovation. Most people that are innovators go to a certain point and there's a line that says, do not cross, and that's from the disruptors. So you may need an innovation manager to take that innovative idea and get it on through the firm. So that's why the skill sets are changing so much. Project management's more important. Um, just the, the people management part of this and telling them what's expected up front. Awesome. Okay, Ron, you want to add? Uh, just to add what, what Gary and everybody said so far, and Tom, I liked your changing the narrative from fear, because there's so much fear wrapped around this AI. Oh, they're going to take all of our jobs, and we're going to be sitting around, and we're going to need a universal basic income to survive. And all. I, I think it's a lot of BS, but um, I would say we know that wealth equals knowledge. The knowledge that is contained mostly in, in the heads of your people is, is society's wealth. It's human capital. It's 80% of the world's wealth, according to the World Bank. That begs the question, then, where does growth come from? Well, growth comes from learning. And I don't mean just learning like we're doing today, sitting in a room or, or a school or, or taking an online course or CPE. I mean experimentation and, and trying new things, even if they fail. Because even if they fail, you'll learn. Profits can be declining, but learning can be increasing. And that's a source of future wealth. So I'd love to see firms do more learning. In other words, more experimentation. Just try things. Fail fast. If it doesn't work, okay, you learned something. What did you learn? How could we iterate and maybe change it and make it better? And that would be another way, I think, to change the narrative more to an opportunity. Fascinating stuff. Uh, Jody, your question for the esteemed panel here. Uh, microphone, please. <laughs> so do you think um, the partnership model is going to change in the next five years so that real change can happen to the profession? Okay. Who wants to start? Gary, go ahead. Yes, it already is in the top firms. It's more of a corporate form. Of leadership, some of them have now put in a chief innovation officer that controls the budget, protects the ideas, prioritizes the ideas, and that's getting to be big in the top 25, 50 firms. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yes, uh, I think that the incoming millennial workforce won't stand for the current model, and uh, they'll have the power to change it. Okay, Tom. Yeah, I'd say the same thing. I've seen some of the um, firms beginning to put money aside for innovation. So even if they aren't changing the model, they're changing the business model, and they're saying, I'm going to allocate. So instead of distributing all the earnings, which is the, which is the flaw, they actually are saying, I'm going to reserve 3% for innovation projects. So they are, they are starting to do that, and I think that's encouraging. It's not happening fast, but it is starting to happen. All right. Well, Tom, you're last on the question list. What question do you have? All right, what's your best app? What's your best app? What's your best app? Who wants to go with an app? Your best app. Oh, uh, Gail's got one. Gary, what do you got? What's your best app? Well, mine would be Box. Box. Box.com. Okay. What's Box.com? It's content management that you can get from any device at any time. 
so I can pull up any presentation on my iPhone or any other document in the office. It's got workflow, and okay. all of our people are remote, so they have access to that. Got it, Gail? Uh, fax burner. It's a little app that lets you just shoot a picture and send a fax from your phone for free. Fax and burner. people still want faxes, but I don't have a fax machine anymore. So. <laughs> All right. Mine's Custodio, which allows me to uh, monitor what my kids do on their devices. So this is a little, you know, creates a little VPN, and I get a report, a daily report every day, how much time they're on each of the different applications. One of the things that really perplexes me, though, is they watch videos of people playing video games, which that I just, I, I'm sorry, maybe I'm getting old, but I can't wrap my brain around why one would watch a video of someone else playing a video game. But that's all right. I'm old now. That's all right. Ron, do you have an app? Uh, T-sheets? No. No. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I have to say Kindle. Kindle. Kindle's the app. All right, Jody. Um, Periscope, which is like Facebook Live for Twitter, so it's social in nature. So it's live stream video. All right. And Tom, you, you, you can answer your own question too. Mine be Evernote. What? Evernote. Evernote. Evernote rocks. Evernote. In fact, sure. Evernote is on the computer right now. I'm using the notes on Evernote on this. So, let, Ron, last, any thoughts here? Uh, Let's wrap this up. I know learned something. It's, it's a, it, we're wrapping up about 15 minutes earlier, but no one ever complains about being 15 minutes early. Okay, I got a rapid, <laughs> rapid fire question then for the group, and you can just give me a, a, a one word answer, keep it short, whatever. What is the number one issue facing the accounting profession? Gary. Relevance. <laughs> wow. There you go. I, I just got, I had to bring a note from home in the last session because that's what I said. But okay, relevance. Gail? In addition to that, generations. Generations, okay. Time. Take it how you wish. Okay, yeah. Yep. Rear view mirror. That's All right. Fantastic. Well, I want to thank our, our panel, Tom, Jody, Gail, Gary. This has been a blast. Ron, thanks for being a part of this. And thank, thank you, our audience, thank for you. being part of the Soul of Enterprise. Be sure to listen to it when it comes out. Thanks. That concludes the session, Accounting Innovation. It's not an oxymoron. Recorded live at Sage Summit 2017 in Atlanta. In the last segment of today's show, Ron and I will be back with some final commentary on accounting innovation. But right now, we want to remind you that you can contact both Ron and myself if you send us an email at ask, A-S-K-T-S-O-E, for The Soul of Enterprise, at verisage.com. Also use hashtag AskTSOE on Twitter, and we do follow that handle, so please use it. And also, please enjoy our website, thesoulofenterprise.com, where we have show notes as well as previews as to upcoming shows. And our calendar, where you can come out and see both Ron or me, depending upon the venue, uh, live, and we'd be happy to see, see you there. Right now, we're going to hear a message from my employer and our sponsor, Sage. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. 
Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on the Soul of Enterprise. This time, though, we are not broadcasting from the show floor of Sage Summit. Instead, Ron and I are going to do a quick wrap-up of this session on accounting innovation. Ron, I thought this was a terrific session, really was. I think that there was great conversation, and I think all of the, the, the guests really had quite a lot to offer. They really did, and I thought uh, the, some of the questions were just fantastic. I mean, we, we talked about remote working, and you know, Tom brought up Daniel Pink's uh, for knowledge workers, they need autonomy, mastery, and, and purpose. I thought that was really good. I wish we would have had a little bit more time to explore the results-only work environment, but of course, we uh, interviewed Jody Thompson on a prior show, so you can listen to that. And I also enjoyed, Ed, the question, um, how will accountants make money in the future? You know, what services did the panel see um, that were going to yeah. be in high demand? I thought that was really good. And, of course, financial planning uh, came out of that and uh, other other things like, you know, obviously more business advisory services and niching. Yes. And the one question that was also asked about, you know, the, hey, we're comparing what people say they want on a survey to what accountants actually offer. And I believe that question was by my sage colleague, Ronald Thomas. Right. And we didn't get really and I don't think you and I really chimed in much on that. We just kind of let the the panel go. So what what, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I the only thing I did say that um you know, he he said only one in 5 accountants offer business advisory services even though a majority of people surveyed and I believe this was by the CRA in Canada, but he said that it was uh, just as uh, very similar down here in the states. Um that they wanted these types of services from their accountant, but only one in five accountants offer it. I, I come back to this idea that, you know, it's really hard for an accountant to make the mind swift, uh, switch from being an expert, being a CPA, to being a consultant, because one is paid for answers, which would be the CPA, and the other is paid for questions. Right. And uh, I think a lot of accountants are afraid to show their ignorance by asking questions. Yeah, that could be. I also think there's a certain amount of, you know, the the TV show you and I love uh, a house in that. And that is is that the customers, you know, everyone lies, houses mm-hmm. m- mantra. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm not calling customers liars. I what I am saying is that I don't 
while they say that, I don't think that they would even begin to look at their CPA for that. And yeah, I guess what we could say is, well, CPA should just do a better job of letting others know that they can, in fact, uh, do financial planning, whatever the additional services are. You know, you have a saying that one of the things you used to look at is is the the organizations that you were the accountant on. You would look at the their expense item for consulting and try to dig down on what that was. Turns out you probably could have done half the stuff that was there. Exactly. And and I think this goes back to our colleague, Tim Williams, who, who taught taught us that you know a brand can only stand for one thing i mean let's face it i believe customers do pigeonhole accountants you know you're my tax guy you're the one that does the financial statements they don't think of us top of mind as a business advisor as an as a consultant so we're going to have to re-educate them if we really want to make this transition and i think accountants are so busy doing the the you know the compliance work um, you know, it was brought up, I think Gary Boomer said it on the panel, but he said, you know, the, the accountants are picking up dollars off the floor and, and they're letting the hundred dollars that are sitting on the desk go by because they're not paying attention to it and they're not devoting the time to it. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. Hey, hey, one thing I wanted to, to clarify because Gail Perry came up to me after the session and, and mentioned that the book that she was recommending, she had given the wrong title. And the correct title of the book that she was reading, which, by the way, I have heard this guy, I haven't read the book, but I have heard him uh, interviewed, I think it was on our friend Russ Roberts' show, and that yeah. is um, Men Without Work, America's Invisible Crisis, New Threats to Freedom Series, and this is by Nicholas Eberstadt, and certainly we will put that in the, the show notes as well. But uh, I thought it, that Russ did a great job interviewing him. It's a, it's a very interesting premise. I'm not sure I'm fully on board with it, but I just wanted to mention that that was the book that she was referring to. Right, right. Yep, yep. And, and Nicholas Eberstadt, you know, he's the guy that uh, wrote The Tyranny of Numbers and taught me a lot about how numbers can just actually obfuscate the truth rather than reveal it. Because, you know, measurements like we talked about on previous shows, um, they, they, can hide, they, they can hide real wisdom because they crowd out wisdom and judgment and all of that. Right, right. Depending upon where the numbers are taken and all that. What, what else, Ron? we got about a minute and a half or 90 seconds or so to, to, to wrap up here. Was there, there anything else that you wanted to just uh, mention? Well, I guess when they asked, uh, you know, what your favorite app was, and of course I think you said um, Evernote. No, no, you said the thing that uh, Custodio yeah, custodian allows yep. you to monitor your kids' uh, devices, and of course, I said T sheets. Right. Um, <laughs> I got confronted by the CEO of T sheets, uh, Matt Rizzle, who, by the way, I really enjoy and, and really like, and he knows where I stand uh, on timesheets, where you and I stand. I told him basically, you're selling the buggy whip of the knowledge era, and he, he's. I, I give him this; he's very curious about it, and and wants to learn more about why we feel that way. So. Uh, it's 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 a good dialogue. Yep, yep, outstanding. Well, I uh, want to mention that we are going to do this kind of show again from Canada, Sage Summit in Canada. A slightly different name, though. I don't think we're going to limit ourselves to accounting innovation, but look for at least one more, possibly two more shows with Ron and I interviewing panels from a, before a live studio audience. That was so, such a lot of fun. So that'll be good. And um, Ron, uh, I guess I'll see you in 167 hours. Sounds good, Ed. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage. 
energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. Thank you.